and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-economic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts Katya and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Mav. I still feel like it's a loaded question, even as we're talking about it. Oh, new thing since I was on last, because it's been apparently like eight years, uh, I am, I'm fully vaccinated. So I am upgraded to 5G. Cool. Wow, that's good. Congratulations. Uh, I I I understand you can magnetize things to your forehead now. Yeah, I'm I'm actually a cyborg now. Um, I don't sleep. Uh, It's great, you know? Oh, that video. So you guys saw that footage then. Uh, We should... I wonder. Yeah, yeah our, that, that's way off topic. I'm well, <laughs> no, I'm just wondering. Does our beginning of the show random? Here's here's the random weird stuff we're seeing in the world of pop culture. Like it's never ever on topic, but right. this is no. very specific to like this is not going to make any sense other than exactly this week that yeah. we're recording this. Because yep. so, no one's going to remember sure this in the future. Only, I'm also sure that somewhere out there, and maybe there's more than one of you, but I'm sure there's at least one person that listens to the show. This is the only part of the show that they like. <laughs> and then as soon as we're done with the beginning of the show banter, they're just like, nope, out of here. Peace. <laughs> well, they just want so, the first God, five minutes. And just God done. bless them, everyone. Yeah. yeah. So, well, we should say, oh, if that's the case, we should, because we usually say at the end of the show. So for that person, please leave us a five star <laughs> review, letting us know that you only like the beginning of the show and get rid of all that learning shit that comes later. But like, you're all about the, the beginning of the show banter. Um, I mean, banter so, is sometimes educational. It's just much more ranty and actually yeah, more yeah. swearing, I feel like, than yeah. much of the rest of the we, we We have not been, I feel like, delivering with on our promise of we swear a lot on this show quite as much yeah. these days. Never said a lot. It, 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 it does happen. I, I, I notice I am more aware when I when I do do it. I, I think I typically use it for emphasis. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I know I did. It, I know I did it last week. Uh, Those are great exclamation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so just just for future listeners, like for somebody who's listening to this episode, um, particularly this episode, because when we get to the topic, this is one that might that we might be referring people to again this week in the world of pop culture um, or not even pop culture, just news, I guess. In there, there are people who are anti-vaxxers who are fighting the COVID vaccine, and they are claiming that the COVID vaccine has given them magnetic powers. And they said this at like a city council meeting, and to prove it, they were sticking keys to themselves. Only they don't actually have magnetic powers, so they didn't stick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing: the idea that they're using this as a way to keep people from getting the vaccine. It's like, excuse me, you just told me the vaccine makes me an X Men. And you want me not to get it? Right. Well, I don't know if this is a drawback that you think it is. Is this the same public forum as the guy who suggested we change the rotation of the moon and the planet to help with with uh, global oh, warming? Uh, that actually happened too. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No. No. Guy. Guy asked. And it seemed to be very seriously. It didn't seem to be like. Is there something we can do with the path of the moon that will yeah. help us with 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 climate change or, or so, the rotation of the earth? Can, can we can we fix that somehow? Like if we send Superman out to fly around the planet like, in reverse and yeah, like, right, right. The, the thing I, I love about that idea is it requires you to know enough science to understand what's going on. Because in a, in a way that sort of makes a kind of twisted sense, but also not enough science to understand or also just practical thinking 
to understand why that doesn't work. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's a yeah, very, that, it, very small like, yeah, here, Venn here's diagram some, of knowledge. Just Here's this guy who has been elected to office, who holds a position, <laughs> who thinks that we can actually, you know, change the pathway of the moon. Right. It, well, it, it requires well, you to have not, taken you know? w- one day of science. You have right, had one right, day of science. Right. You, you know. <laughs> Anyway, see, now I kind of understand why somebody would only listen to the first five minutes. (laughs) So what are we talking about this week, Katya? Uh, So I wanted to talk about the male gaze, which I know we've talked about on many episodes before, both at length and in brief and brief, because we have a couple of interesting episodes coming up where a couple, you know, a couple of our guests are hoping to talk about, you know, issues that relate to this. And I've had a lot of conversations recently about people who get a, the basic concept of what the male gaze is and what we mean when we say like, oh, the gaze, you know, in this movie mm-hmm. is blah, blah, blah. But it's a much more complicated topic that it's often portrayed as in the Internet. And it's actually really, really difficult. And I know, Mav, you teach this. Yeah. And I yeah, feel it, like you would be better explaining the more nuanced aspect of this than I would. So enter well, this episode. You know, we have our list of possible topics to do one day that, you know, we've been keeping ever since we've got we've done the show, started doing the show. So we've got just like, you know, literally 200 things that we might talk about one day. And this is one that we it's been a possible since like since we first started. Right. Like since we mm-hmm. were it was it was an early one and we never got around to doing a show just about this, even though that we even though we reference it. So this is going to be a good opportunity to like sort of be a primer to what we mean when we say the term and how not everybody I don't want to say anybody's well some people are wrong I don't want to say it's necessarily wrong but there are simplified in a lot of contexts right in a way that is sometimes kind of or stuff's ignored or it's overused it's uh it's often overused in ways that I think are good intentioned but not necessarily provably correct. Like Katya said, I, I, I teach a lot of gender and feminism classes for media studies. I, I'll teach, you know, um, gender in comics, gender in literature, gender in film. So um, so I've got basically a whole lesson that I've taught in several different classes, um, which go into how it works or how it originally was working in um, in film theory and some of the derivations. And then we can sort of discuss like from there how we get to some of the alternatives like um, so. I mean, it's officially called the male gaze, but is there a female gaze? Is there a queer gaze? Is there a blank gaze? And spoilers, we're going to say yes, because we've got a couple shows coming up where we're going to rely on just the assumption that the answer is yes. So so yeah. that's, I guess, what we're doing today. So you're, 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 you're the expert. You're the one who actually teaches this. It's weird. Oh, God, I, I guess I yeah. am. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we, yeah. I mean, like you say, we've talked about it on the show. I certainly know what it is. Yeah. Um, but you're you're the one who is most okay. prepared to give us your okay. male gaze so, 101. Male gaze 101. Okay. So the theory was formed by a woman named Laura Mulvey. She is a film there. She's a filmmaker and she does a lot of film criticism. Um, she does some philosophy. And in 1975, she writes this article that she calls Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema. From a gender studies perspective, it's arguably the most important film theory article ever written. Arguably, I mean, there's others, but like it, but it is um, it's up there. Yeah, it, it, it's the basic tenant. She comes up with this concept called the male gaze, which is a basic tenant of how feminist film criticism works, or at least it was. And now we use it very, very widely, like in very, very open ways, which is why this is so much confusing. But she meant something extremely, extremely extremely specific 
And one of the problems is Mulvey is a convoluted writer um, as long and outdrawn and convoluted as I can be. I'm nothing compared to what she does. Um, she writes in a very confusing way with a lot of Freudian psycho psychoanalysis. And she uses a lot of terms that people didn't necessarily understand. But the important ones, at least for the concept of this, are um, digesis, which we've talked about on this show before. And digesis is the fictional world, um, at least in this, in this respect, it's the fictional world that a story is happening in. Um, it's basically a fancy word for the setting. Uh, it's a little yeah. more complicated than that, but it's, it's yeah. basically the setting. The setting yeah. and their and their reality. Um, right. because, what takes so, place in the character's reality right. of whatever right. it is we're watching. Music is the is the most clear one for me because there's because um, with music you can say there's diegetic music because somebody in the scene walked by with a boombox or somebody's playing a piano and you know that the characters can hear that piano. And then there's non-diegetic music, which is the sound that you hear when Darth Vader walks into a room. You know that Luke and, Dar and Darth Vader and Leia, you know they can't hear the Imperial March song, but that Imperial March is there for us to mean Darth Vader. Just feel it in their soul. Yeah. So digesis is the, yeah, it's the, it's the fictional world. Um, then she uses scopophilia, which is, scopophilia is literally pleasure in looking. It's a sexual term, but it's not necessarily sexual. It means that we enjoy um, watching people perform for us. Um, whether it's us being voyeurs or mm -hmm. whether it's us being us watching a movie, but we enjoy when spectacle happens for our enjoyment. Like, um, yeah, it's why we or like sports and plays. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We like to look at stuff. Um, and then voyeurism is we like to look at stuff when they don't know we're looking. We like to look at stuff in secret. Exhibitionism is what it sounds like. People who like to perform, um, for the job who like to be looked at and and the narcissism is at least for Mulvey narcissism is is why we like watching movies it is uh it is our tendency to put ourselves in the place of the hero in a movie or film or that we're watching or a story that we're reading um because we're narcissists we want to believe that what we're watching is about us so Mulvey's argument is essentially that in film or at least in conventional western film the camera is what she says innately male she says all movies are made such that we assume that the that the camera walking around you know it's an omniscient view that is watch that is watching other characters perform but we assume that the camera is male and the audience enjoys what she calls voyeuristic pleasure by watching these characters these exhibitionists perform for you you are the camera and these characters are performing for you. And if you are um, male, um, then you enjoy watching women because um, the male gaze theory assumes everyone is straight. <laughs> and if you're female, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it, it gets more complicated later. But the base theory assumes heteronormative cisgendered well, straight people. Is, yeah, my understanding of it, it is because because it's a theory written describing like basically the creation of films in a patriarchal society. Right. Like it's not about it's I mean I think that's one of the important things that often gets kind of glossed over and I actually kind of when looking back glossed over my blog post. It's not necessarily about the individual person creating the film, although it can be. Right. It's about the overarching like assumptions about basically who is the audience in the society and who yes. is created in the society, which in a patriarchal paradigm or a patriarchal world has to be assumed to be a straight man and i think that's yes. part of why like there's this presumption of straightness is 
because that is and the, that's the part that got her in trouble default, right because people because people complain about it where they'll say well but but this filmmaker was a woman or this filmmaker was a gay man or whatever right. and Malvi's take is essentially it doesn't matter because unless you can somehow move to a world where the filmmaker was raised in the absence of men and or in a world or in a matriarchal society of which there are a couple on earth but not many um and you can presume that the audience was also raised in that that society we it the male gaze is about how we as viewers are conditioned to view the film Mm -hmm. not just about how it's made so So calling it like the patriarchal gaze as much as that's right. a mouthful, might be a more accurate way to think about it, even yes. though that's not, you know, the yeah. term you would use in film. Yes. Um, and I agree with Mulvey on that to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. However, I think that also kind of like assumes that like creators have no agency in how they portray people. Like it feels like it's clearly seen. Well, except she like, does it. That's where she got in trouble because what she's doing, she's actually trying to not judge. It comes, it's a very judgy sure. sounding article, but she's trying to not judge. Her purpose is saying, here's how we are conditioned to view things. So be aware of it and do better. That's her actual argument. And everybody yeah. misses it because she uses a lot of big words. Like she's talking about scopophilic pressure and she goes into this weird Freudian argument about penis envy and penis lack of. And like the reason and she explains that. So to Malvi, very importantly, in a patriarchal society, there can be no female case. And, I, and this is where people start disagreeing with her because right. I actually do disagree with her. But her argument is that this isn't about the the male gaze to her isn't about what you are trying to do as an as a as a filmmaker as a filmmaker you should be trying to make the best film you can you can make the male gaze is explanatory not um not um aspirational yeah it, well it's it's what she's using the term to say this is how people view things because this is how the society works so mm-hmm. um so what she would say is if you're trying to make a feminist movie what you are doing is challenging the male gaze. She wouldn't say that you're challenging the female gaze because she would argue that since we don't live in a matriarchal society, the female gaze has no meaning to her. You're just being a filmmaker who's trying to make a make a feminist film, which I mean, she is in favor like, of. It's just a sure, weird preciousness. I, like, I can see where Mulvey's coming from, but also like I think the weird I think the part I, I, I find weird about her argument is that it feels like she's locking us into this universe where you can't begin to imagine another perspective. Yes. Very much so. The problem with that is like, well, if you can't imagine any other perspective outside of the paradigm of the male gaze, then you're basically saying that patriarchy is inevitable and irrefutable. Because like we know that one of the major ways we drive cultural exchange is through art. If you can't make art that is outside of a patriarchy, because being in response to patriarchy is still playing by the rules of patriarchy, right? So if you want to make a movie that is doing something different than patriarchy, you need to be able to imagine a movie that is outside of the male gaze. So that's the problem. Like the issue I have with it is not so much. Mm -hmm. I think that she's right to a certain extent. Right. Especially when we look at mainstream media, but basically for shutting down the possibility. 
Well, she wouldn't. She wouldn't shut it down. That's the key. That's the key thing. Well, no, and and, and see, this it's weird because she's written follow up arguments where this is why I know because I know she considers herself not shutting it down. I I agree with you, right? I agree. Like, and I'm inclined to say you're right, but she is weirdly precious about it. So her argument is, I'm not shutting it down, and and I actually will agree with her once I realize where she's going with it. What she's trying to say is you should absolutely be challenging this and trying to change the world. But until the world changes, you're always going to have viewers who are going to view with the male gaze because that is the default. Not the oh, best. Yeah, I mean, but the but default. See, that's a much more limited version of the argument she originally proposes. Yes. Yes. And it's like, what, and, and I think it's what she means. I think it, just sure. having read all the follow up things. That's a lot more of a defensible argument. Yes. <laughs> But like, because I because I've I've read her entire book. Like, mostly the, the original essay was written in seventy five, and then she wrote a bunch of follow up essays, and then she eventually combined them into a book. And I've read the book, and I see where she's going with it. But oh my god, is it convoluted? And it's also yeah. weirdly con- com- com- complicated by the fact that she is very um, she is very precious about it working just for film and film working different than literature or comics or video games or anything else. And sure, there are differences. But she would prefer that people in other disciplines didn't use her male gaze theory. And which is even tough. which is is so <laughs> weird because it's basically like she say her argument is essentially that I mean there's so many things that are weird about that and like yeah. yes there are differences between media film works different video games et cetera et cetera but like in some actually interesting ways for this that I, th- I hope we get into later but is the fundamental argument is like films are this way because they are created under patriarchy. No. How is anything else created under patriarchy yeah. not also subject to a version of this? Like, I'll grant it doesn't work the same. You would think so, but she says it's, it's weird. Yeah, I it's mean, weird. I can kind of understand from like a research perspective of saying like, you know, I'm like, for example, like I'm not a film expert. I can say some things about film from my experience with like media history, mm-hmm. but like I wouldn't create a theory about video games and then basically say this applies for all media everywhere. No, you'd say, you'd say somebody should look into this is what you would say. Yeah. You'd be like, yeah. <laughs> so I understand I understand the idea of like what not wanting to basically say like all media is the same, et cetera, et cetera, even though all media kind of does a lot of similar things. Right. Um, if you look at the other side of it, if we're talking about you know, the if the male gaze is it, it's on the viewer, like we, we're part of the society where that's the way we are trained to view things. Right. So if that's the way we're trained trained to view things then that's the way we view things it doesn't matter what the media is we the general we the general real we. life for that matter right. yeah or real life right yes. like if, if that is our our conditioning based on mm-hmm. our culture and, and, and i agree with that 100 percent. yeah and, and, she and, weirdly and, doesn't is the thing yeah. she she only agrees with it when it's film and it's so bizarre but well, like that, I, that, that seems to be self-contradictory and this yeah. and this is and this is why we understand that mm-hmm. the author does not fully determine the thing that they yes. created because yes uh, well, and, 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 and part, part, of, part of any theory should also be the ability to to grow and change and adapt and, and have and, it be tested by other scholars which right, it yeah. has been so pretty much the rest of the world has reject so when i say she is precious about it um not only does she think it doesn't work for for literature or comics or art she doesn't think it works for television she distinguishes that's between television and, one. Yeah, like between, the other one I can sort of be like so, okay so, I can at least appreciate that argument 
T- the TV thing is mind blowing, and I want you to talk about why. This yeah, is. I, I need you to explain to me that if I see weird. Fast and Furious in the theater, yes. it's male gaze. But if I watch it on my big screen TV in my living room, it's not male gaze. It's not. Yeah. Oh, oh no. And and again, I am not subscribing to this. For the listener, I am not subscribing to this because I think it's wrong. But her argument is that the male gaze effect is created because of a combination of patriarchal norms, which we all agree on, right? Um, and also our psycho, our, a psychoanalytic view of how we view film when it's large and we are in a group setting. So her argument is that this effect happens because when we view film, remember I told you the, the terms, the, the narcissism and the scopophilia and the voyeurism, it, it can't be just scopophilic. It needs to be voyeuristic. Um, so if you go to a play, if you go and see Wait, Hamilton, say that again without jargon terms. Okay. It needs oh, yeah, to make sure yeah. I'm following. Okay. It, her argument, her argument is for the male gaze to work and create the effect that she sees in it. Right. It needs to be voyeuristic. That is, it needs to be about you, the viewer viewing with the understanding that the, um, that the performer can't see you. And here's where it gets weird. If I go to see them, if I go to see Hamilton, right? Like if I go, if I, if I score Broadway tickets to Hamilton, um, and I'm in the front row and I'm watching Hamilton, I know Lin-Manuel Miranda can see me. So he's performing and he knows I'm watching him. Right. And, and because he's an actor in a play, right? So that, so she would say that's scopophilic, not voyeuristic. Okay. For it to be be voyeuristic, I I have to be, I I have to be able to watch it and I have to assume that he can't see me. I could do whatever I want in this dark room because the performer, because it's film, so, so the performer can't has, see me back. She requires that it also has to be kind of pervy. Right. Requ- yes. It, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. The male gaze becomes pervy because in order for it to work, right? Like, a, like I have to know, I have to know that you can't see me. And, and even if you're pretending, if you're in a play and you're pretending you can't see the audience, I know you can see me. So it doesn't well, count. And, and, and they know you're there. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So it doesn't, so it doesn't really count. But the, but the film performer doesn't know I'm there. Of course they do though. It, that's why it's broken because of because the actor knows that they're filming they're they're performing for a camera, but she says a camera is different than a than a audience. But the camera's not there by itself. There's a huge crew of people who are watching it's, that performance. Yeah, it's it's like insane. Well, and it's also <laughs> the again, logic is insane. If, if, if the fundamental premise is film is like this because patriarchy, patriarchy doesn't <laughs> doesn't change. Yeah. Away yeah. when there are people in the room. In fact, right. patriarchy I, kind of needs other people to be doing patriarchal things for it to to, to work. This is why everybody I skips this part. I exist in a universe by myself. I, it's only patriarchal if I'm patriarchal. Yep. I'm sitting here watching a film version of Hamilton in my room by myself at right. home. Uh-huh. That seems to fit that definition more than in a theater full of people. You would think so. <laughs> but but I mean, if, if I'm across the street looking in my neighbor's window watching their TV, <laughs> that's even pervier and fits than it's it is mind boggling. And when I teach that part, I skip it unless someone asks because it doesn't really make sense. And I think she's lightened up over it over you, the interview. You aware, years. Your stu- you aware your students are watching you when you teach this? Yeah. It, well, and, they, and people have asked about that. Like, um, so because so from the perspective, from the perspective of uh, of teaching, 
I am performing. So like, right. this, so there is scopophilia going on because I am exhibiting. I am the exhibitionist as I am standing in front of the class and the, and the class is watching me. So they are, they are scopophiles in this situation, but under Malvi, it's not gazy because I'm aware that, cause I can see them looking at, at me and that matters. And they know that I can see them looking at me. So, so how did zoom classes change that? Don't um, answer. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know. I, don't I mean, zoom was 75. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, I mean, I, I expect it would complicate it though. Right. Yeah, I, exactly. I right. It, yeah. That yeah. In the zoom class yeah. where the camera's well, turned I, off. I, I, say, that, I say that as a joke. But I think it's a little, it, it doesn't in the sense that she's she's I think she's wrong. Yeah. Like, I don't think it matters. Well, like I, I would I would grant that it means it has different consequences for how we are consuming media and how uh-huh. we interact with the male gaze. But it doesn't mean it poofs away. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, it's the same thing, like with the media genre. Like, I acknowledge fully that this manifests in different ways in different genres. Yes. It doesn't poof away. There's no right. poofing here. Yeah. So, well, so anyway, so that's her, her base theory is that all, all film works like that all the time, right? Like, um, it, no matter what you're doing, it's going to, it's going to be male gazy because the default, because our society assumes a default male viewer, the default in our society, the f- default condition is to be male, um, to be female is an aberration that we allow women to have, right? When like we, it, say yeah. default, we mean culturally default, not statistically default. Just yes, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yes, yes. And a, patri- a patriarchal society assumes that the average, that the standard person is male, the also white, people also straight. About. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But um, but yes, but like in her, but she's what? she's writing this about about gender. Uh, so that's right. right. Well, but, and, and, and let me also throw in. I mean, part of that is also because of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. So much of the art is being created and paid attention to has been mm-hmm. male created right. so it's become yeah. the default because that that has been the yes the, the gaze that creates the art is male primarily which leads you right to the to the to the next part of the of the argument so if we assume that you were that we're defaulting to a male camera now we can start critiquing the ways in which as a standard, and this is where people conflate it because the male gaze is literally actually just about the camera being definitionally male. So what the next thing you worry about is playing into the male gaze, which is the tendency of film to create situations wherein the narrative is built to entice a straight male viewer. So this you can complicate. Um, like you can mm-hmm. certainly like it and, and Mulvey acknowledges this, right? Like in, in fact, what she's are what she's asking for is she's asking for people to complicate it more often. Because so her example, she uses a classic Hollywood cinema a lot. And she'd and she would say that a lot of classic Hollywood cinema, if you're watching like a like a you're watching a screwball comedy or you're watching a film noir, either one. Right. Um, There's a moment where the protagonist where, you know, where bogey is there. Right. Or whatever protagonist bogey, Cary Grant and the female lead enters the movie and everything else stops so that the movie can look at the female lead, right? Oh my God, it's Lauren Bacall. We must see her legs. We must see her hair. We must see her boobs, right? We must pan up her body slowly so we can appreciate how beautiful she is. So time has to freeze so that we can gaze upon Lauren Bacall. And that is, that's where the term comes from because we're playing into mm-hmm. the gaze. Um, so that's where the male gaze part comes. comes. Um, in, obviously, in a lot of films, this happens, happens more often. This happens more. 
I use um, for a really for my really key examples um, for my students that um, in fact, I'll, I'll probably use them on the YouTube version of this. I tend to use um, the first Transformers movie because I don't want to use old films because they don't know them as well. But just things that they might have seen the first Transformers movie when um, when Megan Fox shows up, it's just a lot of panning over her belly button and, you know, watching her bend over and work on the car and she's doing something. So the, the movie hasn't really stopped. She's talking but we need to get a good 30 seconds to appreciate how beautiful Megan Fox is. Right. But that's, that's the, probably that's the, the main point reason of why she's doing what she's doing. Right. Like, yeah. right. right. No right. real narrative consequence to what she's doing. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, just, just the, the, the consequence is the, this is their meat cute, but we needed to, right. more importantly, it's our, our meat sexy with her. Right. That's what mm-hmm. it is. And then the, um, uh, the other one I'll use is um, just because it's very blatant. I'll use um, American beauty. Yeah. Um, and this is now, this is narrative playing towards the male gaze right because he's in he in in that scene he imagines it being even more than it than it is but when when kevin spacey's character sees mina savari's character everybody else in the room disappears she starts dancing in slow motion you know there's lots of close-ups of you know close-up of her legs close-up of her stomach close-up of her breast you know close-up of her hair and you're you're moving really really slowly you watch her caress her own body slowly things that don't make sense but that are done for it's it's every 80s movie where you know where the hot girl walks into the room and the the wind machine pl- blows through her hair and you know dream believer plays it's, it's every it's every white snake video <laughs> every white snake video yes those are all playing to the male gaze and Malvi this is where people get confused because people think that um what w- the way most people use um the term male gaze is we say and that's bad and Malvi doesn't actually think it's bad. She's weird. Um, so for an old lady, she's like hella into like she's an old lady now, but she's, you know, because <laughs> she wrote this originally in 1975. She's still alive. Um, she's hella into sex and kind of kinky and stuff <laughs> and funny. She doesn't want it to stop. She just wants them to make movies where they do that to men, too. That's okay. like that's like this her actual actually, goal. <laughs> I actually kind of I, I, this is something I actually agree with Mulvey, because this is actually what I think about what is missing in a way in sort of like representation of women in video game culture. Right. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of discussion. I mean, rightfully so about representation of women. It has always been complicated at best. Um, and then like male gaze par excellence, because when like even more than the film industry now, like, I mean, the video game industry in the eighties was much more like what the film industry was sort of like much earlier on because it was almost entirely male creators. I mean, still is for a large degree, but that's changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a predominantly male audience, whereas now that is absolutely not true. There is at least gender parity in gaming. If not, there might actually be a slight edge of women, um, depending on what surveys you look at. But uh, and I'm her, but you know, fun things. Um, because I feel like a lot of a lot of there's been a lot of improvements in representation of women in game in games, and mm-hmm. a lot of it, a lot of the conversation is centralized like, oh well, we have to desexualize female representation. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We can still have sexy video game characters, and this is why I brought up Laura Croft mm-hmm. um, in the blog post because Laura Croft is, I think, the best explanation of this. Laura Croft is absolutely an expression of the male gaze. Even the creators admit this. They mm-hmm. made Laura Croft to be a sex symbol specifically for adolescent and young adolescent and young men. How how sexy can we make 14 polygon, polygons? That was yep. right. Basically, <laughs> and and important. I mean, in, an interesting sort of like wrench in that is because in, we, we think stereotypically of like the male gaze, like the male gaze, meaning that women have to be disempowered. 
Whereas in video games, Laura Croft is interesting. You can't disempower a lead protagonist in a video game because the player plays them, right? Yeah. You have a bunch of young men well, you'd end up playing with a really boring as game. women. <laughs> Yes. Assuming um, the game's going to be winnable and fun. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Like, yeah, there's like it's it's to, to have a female. I mean, this is why that's having female protagonists is relatively uncommon up until, you know, relatively recently because of this fact, actually, mm-hmm. because it is difficult to make a stereotypical female character that aligns with the male gaze and therefore aligns with market assumptions about what will and will not sell and make a good video game. Right. Mm-hmm. Because a female lead has to have agency in order for a video game, generally speaking, to be fun. Um, There's a lot of interesting, there's a lot of interesting things to be said, I think about like what, how does the male gaze happen, what change when a man is playing as a woman, Mm -hmm. um, because he's no longer looking at Laura Croft entirely from the outside, even Mm -hmm. though that is definitely part of it. Um, But the point I wanted to make with uh, on this, on this was that there are absolutely tons of women who love Laura Croft. Yes. She's extremely popular in the cosplay community. She is extremely popular among the female gamers. I will not say like unilaterally, absolutely with criticism and well des- and deservedly so. But there are women in this world of all sexualities mm-hmm. and feminine folks who are not necessarily identified as women who want to be sexy. And yes. that sexiness, like the way that they want to be, they, they feel sexy sometimes mm-hmm. aligns with the stereotypical male gaze. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's I the problem. That there should be space in the game. I, mean, I think there should be space in mm-hmm. video games to have feminine presenting characters who are sexy in traditional ways. There just also needs to be other options. And to your point, one of my favorite things about uh, The Witcher, the most recent one, is there are jokes kind of like sprinkled throughout about basically the way that Geralt is objectified by women. Mm-hmm. And, he, and like because and I think partially because the Witcher series has has had even entire game mechanics. We've talked about this mm-hmm. in the show, entire game mechanics over like basically Geralt's sexual conquest. Mm-hmm. And I love that they kind of like twist that a little bit of like, oh, also all the women always want Geralt because he's hot. And I'm like, yes, yes. And that's what she wants. Scenes See, Mulvey would 100 percent agree with you. She would 100 percent agree with you. That's what she wants. And that's right. and she gets really upset that people have missed that in her work because she because people use well, her a lot to say that sexy is bad and she hates that she hates well, because it in some ways that would be a different version of the same problem mm-hmm. like because you, exactly are, what she says. you would also be denying female sexual agency but i, I mean, and like there should also be i mean this is what again witcher like mm-hmm. there's a there's like several scenes where he's gonna have a bathtub that there's the slow pan and it's like very you know and but it's directed towards a muscular attractive dude mm-hmm. like it's it's the same camera techniques that would be used for the male gaze for a female audience and i would also argue for a male audience who want to have a power fantasy of being desired by women yes uh, well, I, th- I think it's a little trickier and this is where i w- i would agree with her as well so she has a point this is and this is something that i teach in my class a lot that a lot of people skip on mm-hmm. when they're teaching malvi malvi makes a point this is where she gets into her, all of her psychoanalytic stuff and this matters because she's arguing it's not her argument isn't just about it's not about what good what's good or bad, which is how people use it. And that's what she hates. It's about what is right. And her argument is that the reason this happens, because she's trying to explain culture. She's not really trying to explain film. She's she's arguing that under a patriarchal system, and this is I'll use an exact quote, man is reluctant to gaze at his exhibitionistic like so. Her argument is the is you don't the, want to look at dudes. 
Yeah, that's and that really was yeah. what it comes down to. And I and I think it's changing because she's a, she's basically saying she is. And remember, she wrote this in 1975, right? Yeah, she's sure. she's saying that um, that we make these movies and we make the hot woman as eye candy for the man. And then as a female viewer, I have to either be gay, which she's OK with. You know, I have sure. to either be gay and enjoy and, and enjoy watching women perform for me or I have to somehow derive pleasure by associating myself with a with somebody that men think is hot. There's nothing for me to drool over. That's but her I think argument. This is where video games are different. Yes. Because if you are playing Witcher as a mm-hmm. guy, you are being asked to put yourselves in the shoes of mm-hmm. Carol. So and she's asking you know, for that. If you believe, but that's my point, though, is why I think that like you you can have a fantasy mm-hmm. of desirability where Moldy, I think, is saying that you can't. Because in video games, if you are a guy or a woman and you are mm-hmm. you are being asked to be Geralt simultaneously being objectified insofar as you like identify with the care and also objectifying Geralt, you're doing both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because in order for a video game to function most of the time, you have to have some level of belief that you are the avatar. Right. Because your actions are directly instantiated in the avatar's actions. They're leaning on so the I, narcissism I, like, aspect is what she'd call it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll grant Mulvey her thing about film. I don't think the same would be true of video games. I think you can have it both ways. Well, she no. And, and I think, well, I don't think she thinks that you can't have it both ways in video games. I think that I think she thinks that you can and that we should be working towards a world where you do. Again, she's writing in 1975, right? I think that in 2021, she. Yes. Yes. I think that's the I think that's exactly the answer. Right. I think she's hoping. She's hoping for a world where Magic Mike is a thing, right? Because because yes. it's specifically no. for, for film. She she's very much hoping for a world where because uh, she says man is reluctant to to gaze at his exhibition as like we live in a society where women are trained to women are trained to enjoy being beautiful, and she says that men are not trained to be enjoy being beautiful, and in fact reject it. So she's hoping for a world where both can where I mean, where you're not required I, to be. But I'm gonna, good with it. I'm going to introduce her to glam rock. Yes. Uh, yeah, I I'm, think it's more complicated than that. I it's think it's absolutely like, more complicated, but that's her theory. Yeah, <laughs> sure. yeah no, yes. I, I think it's more complicated yeah. than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where, but that's where, but that's where it becomes weird, right? Because because yeah. people skipped that part, and what they used it for is, um, and this is this is a negative of people that I would normally prefer to agree with. Um, there is a whole segment of feminist film criticism which used Mulvey as an excuse to say, right? So here we go. We need to get, you know, anything you making sexy women, anything that plays the male gaze is bad. And she's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. I want there to be options because her she wasn't trying to be aspirational. She was trying to just be descriptive. She was trying to say, this is how this works. Um, I want it to be able to work both ways. Um, And Mm -hmm. I don't know that we got there because so here's here's where uh, because we're going to fast forward to 2021 now. Well, yeah, nuance is hard. But also, I think I think you end up with um, I think that in a video game or in a or in a film, I'm trying to think, Okay, so a very obvious film that is trying to be pro woman and pro sexy is um, a movie that Katya and I both enjoyed. I don't know if Wayne ever saw it, but uh, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. Yes. Yeah, it's absolutely trying. They are. I mean, okay, it stars Margot Ruby, right? It's impossible to make her ugly. <laughs> so, so, so like, like they cast one of the hottest actresses in the world in the movie, or she cast herself.
herself because she's also a producer, right? But she's in the movie and she makes the movie that she wants. And she's also active and enjoying her sexuality, but not limiting herself to she's not performing for men. She's performing for herself. I think that's um, Mm -hmm. if I that's how I watch the movie. That yeah. said, if I'm just uh, if I'm just a dude, bro, who wants to jack off to Margot um, Roby running around and killing people, that movie like you can't stop me. That movie gives me the male gaze because we live in a society yeah. where you can't get away. And and Mulvey would consider that a plus in a weird way. <laughs> like like she'd be like, yes, this is exactly what I, I want. I can kind of understand why. I mean, not that I'm going to say that's either a good or a bad thing, but I think like if if your point is just basically there needs to be diversity in media and you're not interested in foreclosing different ways of using media, then that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's what she's and so she's asking for movies like Birds of Prey. That's like literally what she wants. And she wants Magic Mike to exist. And she was saying at the time they don't. Now, the problem is, and this is where it comes because I, I would um when I teach Marvel, I usually also teach um a more recent critic, um, Christina Lucia Stasia, who says and she goes into action movies. And she argues, and this is an extension of where a lot of stuff with the male gaze goes. Um, we do Molly's working in a world where, and again, it's 1975 for her, right? So she's working in a world where a female heroine, I'm going to use action movies, even though it's not specific to just action movies, but a female heroine in a film is essentially a damsel in distress, right? That's the woman's job. Yeah. Her job is to be pretty and to be saved, right? And, and as Katya said, video games are better than that. Or if, eventually, it's eventually. I mean, different. Yeah. They are yeah. different. I won't mm-hmm. say better for reasons I want to get into, but okay, that's they're fair. different. Yeah. Well, well, yes, there are. Not, um, but Mulvey would say that in the seventies, that's what she had. In the sixties and seventies and fifties, she had women who were waiting to be saved, and she wanted there to be heroes, heroines, I guess, if you want to be specific to being female. Um, and then we get to the modern action movie, where in it's twenty twenty one now, it is not rare for there to be a female action hero or a female um, superhero, a a superheroine in comics um, for, for Wayne and I, or Tomb Raider or um, um, as, you know, as a video game, those aren't rare. Stacia's problem and Stacia does not limit herself to, um, to film the way Malvi does. She uses, she uses the term the same way that I do, which is to describe everything. So Stacia's problem with, she specifically names Tomb Raider um, and she names, the movie uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith um, with Brad Pitt and, uh, and, and, but anything like that, she says she loves these films. However, we've entered another phase of, because we view things with the male gaze, the only way we allow women, at least according to Stacia to have agency in the action world is if they are conventionally heteronormatively attractive. Um, And I'm glad you brought this up because this is the issue with video games. I think. And I would say she's, I would say she's right. I mean, I'm not gonna say she's 100% right. I'd say she's right. 99% of the time. Yep. (laughs) And and that, yeah, but there are exceptions, but they're rare. As an overarching mm -hmm. truth. Yeah. So Tomb Raider works because we we will allow we will allow Laura Croft to kick anybody's ass to kill anybody. We'll allow her the full range of human emotion. We had comments about the fact that um, 
on the blog about one of the interesting things about this is not what this episode's about, but the way yeah, Tomb Raider deals with her emotions. If you want to come on with, the show, I'm on the right, show. With her, with her emotions and PTSD. And, you know, Lara Croft is a very complicated character. And we allow her the, that full range of emotions because her boobs are huge. That's. Well, and, yeah, and she's also, like, yeah. The comment, well, and the comment is also because she's a woman. Like the idea yeah. that women get to have <laughs> be, be emotional, like a female character gets to right. emotional experience PTSD in its full range because. As long she's, as she's hot. <laughs> as long as she's hot, but also as long as she's yeah. female, because a male yes. character doesn't get to do that. And that's right. another thing it's like there are exceptions. Like I brought up a few in the comments from uh actually Witcher, I think, is one of them, although to a lesser extent. Uh as well as there's it comes up in, in uh Metal Gear Solid, the Metal Gear Solid franchise. Um but but I think I think that you know that he's right in the sense that mm-hmm. it is very rare to have a male protagonist talk about trauma and PTSD yes. in a video game. And it yeah. is easier, especially for like the time periods in which that is appearing in Tomb Raider for that to happen because she's a woman and we expect women to be emotional and all the kind of stuff. We absolutely should do a show on that. Mm-hmm. We definitely do need to, need to do that as a different show topic, but it is relevant to the gaze thing because what people miss about all these male gaze is she's not just, again, she's being descriptive. She's not just pr- critiquing our view of femininity in film. She's also critiquing the view of masculinity. Men are not allowed to be emotional. Men mm. are not allowed to be beautiful. Um, allowed to be on display. Yes. Um, emotionally or physically. Yes. And it, men are men are to be an active agent of, you know, of force. And women are to be a passive agent of like this is this is her problem. A passive agent of reception and of beauty and she and emotion. And she hates that. She wants both genders. And she says both. Um, it's 1975. She doesn't say all times have changed, <laughs> times have changed. <laughs> but she, but she wants both to be able to have more options and this, and people skip that entirely. So again, she's critiquing the system and saying an awareness of it can help us change it. And I think she'd probably recognize that by 2021, we have. Right. Yeah. So more dudes in Leia armor or Leia yeah. costumes yeah. and more women in power armor. That's what, yeah, absolutely. That's what we're going for. I mean, and so but the the thing I do want to go, I do want to go back to Laura Croft, because again, I think she's a really good example of a lot of different problems with this, because mm-hmm. there is the issue also, I think, of how, how we get around the male gaze, right? Mm-hmm. Because... I think a lot of media industries have assumed it's like, oh, well, if we add female characters to things, it will be better. And it's like, no, like the male gaze is a critique of of representation. It assumes that women are included. And like Mm -hmm. Laura Croft is an interesting example because like, like, like I said, it was made specifically with men in mind. Like she was not made to be a feminist icon. And even the aspect like the aspects of her character that people read as feminist like the fact that she has agency the fact that she's like a super intelligent badass and she is empowered is actually not a diversion from the male gaze it is part of it like mm-hmm. um so the original creators have talked about the way that like her agency is what makes her sexy uh and it's kind of like you know not quite in the language of being a dominatrix but also not not that way <laughs> basically the idea that she, the fact that she can kick the male player's ass in real life if they you know if this mm-hmm. if, if she existed in meat face is part of why she is sexy 
So she is given agency because, like, to fit the male gaze as it appears in video games. Mm-hmm. And I think this is both what makes it possible for her to be this kind of like feminist, early feminist icon of gaming, despite all of the complexity, and also be part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Because it's basically the thing you were talking about where women get to have agency, but only certain kinds of women and only some of the time. And specifically, only if that agency is not in conflict with the male gaze. Because I think Mm -hmm. that's the issue I see in video games still, where when you see female, like better female representation, it's often because they're completely, completely desexualized and that this Mm -hmm. is no longer part of their character. Like the video game industry hasn't figured out a way to do both. And it's largely because the vast majority of developers, especially at major studios, are still straight men. And Mm -hmm. they, I think, and I'm not saying that it's like, oh, if you're straight dude making video games, you're a horrible person. But it is, I think, hard because there is not a tradition of making other kinds of representation in this industry to create other kinds of female characters, non-binary characters, trans characters, Mm -hmm. all kinds of like diverse characters, because they're still working from the model of that is their experience and that is the history of gaming. And so they just spit out versions of the same, Mm -hmm. like just Mm -hmm. reskinned versions of the same characters. So they just basically took male characters, gave them boobs, and that was it. Yes. And like, that's not like it's it's what's it's not better like it is better in the same way that laura croft was better than what came before because before that you didn't really i mean you laura croft was the first time i ever saw a woman in a video game other than technically metroid who, who metroid honestly, which you don't know you don't know for most of the year right you don't know that you know, metroid is a female until like the very end of the original game so like <laughs> which in and of itself is kind of well, amazing but well yeah metroid is an interesting case i have a question though I, I, that i don't know the answer to so this is a question for Katya and I'm going to loop Wayne in a little bit because I think it's um, I, the, the problems that you're describing of, you know, limitations because of just who the creative teams are absolutely still affect comics. Um, oh, yeah. Overwhelming, absolutely. overwhelmingly. Um, and there, I mean, there are there there are alternatives. There are female creators. There are um, non-binary creators in comics now. But overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly straight. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and, and I think, and, sorry, before and, you, and, yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge also that just because a woman makes a female character does not mean it's better. Yes, yeah, because, because there are absolutely because if you are still designing according to existing models of characters, you are probably going to make something that is as that is going to basically conform to the male gaze as much as your predecessors. Like just because a woman made it doesn't make it mean it's better. Just because a man made it doesn't mean it's worse. That was part of my question because at least in the comics world, and I don't know enough about the video game world other than what you were just saying a moment ago. I mean, I know some, but a lot of the solutions in comics are, um, because I, I want to get into how this uh, how this plays with the with the question of well, but men are like this too. Um, so we'll get to that in a moment. But in comics, a lot of the solution to oh well, we want to make this for women. Well, actually, no, for girls because it's usually yeah. for younger women. And I'm and I'm, I'm not. I say girls not to be disparaging to yeah, adult it, women. I say, I say girls because I mean children. <laughs> um, under, the so, uh, under the age of. 14 yeah, under the yeah, age of 12 yeah, back, back in the day yeah. yeah yeah i'm talking i'm prepubescent um 12 12 year olds um so a lot of typically the way we made comics for girls was we make a female character written by a man or a woman and then we just desexualize her women don't yeah. have sexual thoughts done right and so so the problem goes away right um right. and it's 
to, to tap onto what you said or what was being said earlier, that idea of you, know, you create a video game character and you make a female just by adding boobs. Right. I mean, I mean, in, in comics, you know, I'm thinking very specifically Marvel in the 70s. And this was a very specific. We need to trademark these names before somebody else does. Mm-hmm. We need she to have don't. we need to have She-Hulk. We need to have Spider-Woman. We need to yes. have whatever. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, so so suddenly we had this influx of brand new female characters with their own books. Who are the, the male character gender swapped. Yeah, basically who were exactly that. Yeah, they, yeah. they really. And you some of them, there was a brief attempt to and I, I do this in my class. When I'm talking about this part of the 70s. They actually hired some some mm-hmm. female writers for some of that stuff, at least initially. Uh-huh. Roy Thomas's wife wrote one of them. Night nurse. <laughs> that sort of yes. Thing. Night nurse, uh, right. Yes. And, and, and it was, it was a good idea. Now they didn't last very long. They didn't last long. And, and part of, but they were also still writing to the formula that all comics mm-hmm. were written at at that time. Uh-huh. So, and, and so my, but after that, so when, when night nurse fails, when the cat fails, uh, mm-hmm. uh, when, when the original Ms. Marvel fails, um, what they do they try to make it for rather than making it for teenage girls, they try to make it for young girls. So they just desexualize everybody. Yeah. So right. it's not, it's never an issue of, is right. she too, is she too sexy? Because you, you make it for, you make it for children. And that sort of happens today. Right. So like well, if that we, happens in the game, that happens in video games my question. That, are for, that are for adults, like and yeah. in ways that sometimes make sense. And so that's I wouldn't well, necessarily say yeah. a bad thing. So like, for example, I was playing destiny. I was thinking about this while I was playing um, destiny this morning. Mm-hmm. So Destiny is a first-person shooter, um, very similar to Halo, made by the same people. Um, and you can pick your own avatar, race, you can be a robot. Interestingly, there are both male and female presenting robots. I know okay. there are lore reasons for why this exists, but I still always find it weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the in the actual game is concerned, mm-hmm. like it will make it will there will be some different responses based off of the race you pick because there are like cultural things within the game for like different you know uh, groups. But mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware or have noticed in either Destiny One or Destiny Two, I don't think it responds to the fact that you have a gender really at all. Okay, Which, and it even says I think on the most recent character character selection and for Destiny Two, I can't remember for Destiny One, but for Destiny Two, when you make your character, I even think it says, which I looked this up before the show, it says ma- like, do you want a masculine presenting or feminine presenting? Not okay, like so, quite presenting, but it basically says masculine or feminine when you're picking your avatar selection. So it's, it's just does like your body have boobs? You, yeah, it's just does your body have boobs? Okay. Yeah, it's just, it's it's basically what is what is the what is the frame that you want your skin to appear on? That sounds okay. Like creepy. You're out of context. Um, well, yeah, well, that was my question, right? Think, so, so, so in a game like that, uh-huh. where there is no meaningful narrative consequence, and also there is no, there's like no relationships, there's no idea of sexuality. Like it is just I shoot things and I save the world. Like in mm. that context, I have zero problems with it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the fact that it isn't like the fact that the game is not gendered, like her- avatars are really not gendered in the game. I think for for that genre. I, I don't know if it's the best way forward, but it seems like a really good one. Well, if I'm playing um, Fortnite, it's like that, right? Like if I'm playing like yeah. any of any first night, I shouldn't say any first person shooter, but in general, a first person shooter, like I'm just, I'm just the meat body. I mean, I'm just the body that's running around shooting. It doesn't matter um, what like gender is irrelevant other than a visual presentation, right? It doesn't do and, anything. And interpersonal relationships. So like, I mean, that's, that's the thing where like, if you have, I mean, I've experienced this personally, like if you have a female presenting avatar in game, like destiny i will say the destiny community is relatively good about it but if you have a female presenting avatar in the in a game community you are more likely to experience certain kinds of harassment than not yes. so well, you're talking about the people i meant to the, i meant to the mechanics yeah, to of the, the machine i meant to the program yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. to the to the, oh. to the 
to a well-designed game that has thought about this, like the game does not care. Okay. I mean, so I think in, in a game like destiny where it's not significant, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I think that that's a really good solution. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think that's the correct solution for all games or even most games because well, there's narrative you want it to matter, right? You don't want to, you right. don't want to say that you can only tell a story about a woman. If she here, here, here's an example, right? If we go the classic, uh, comic book character red sonia right red sonia is essentially lady conan if you've not if you're not familiar with the character there's other differences but she is a if you know conan the barbarian is red sonia is a female barbarian very similar the red sonia character specifically is at least classically is cursed to not be able to have she can never lay with a man unless he can defeat her in physical combat but she is the um she is the greatest warrior alive so therefore she is effectively cursed to remain a virgin so let's just take god, sexuality that a, off that is god that is a weird that is yeah okay. so mm-hmm. so yep. let's just take sexuality yep. out out of the program and that becomes her character because that was their way of take not having out of the program but also in the most patriarchal and weird way possible. absolutely yeah. it's <laughs> and, and and it lasts from the 70s up until i think gail simone drops it in like 2010 it's like yeah. 40 oh, years could that be any more creepy yeah it is it's a, wow. she's like no this is horrible no off awful 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 but yeah it's it, that was like the premise so that but their their reasoning is now we don't have to deal with like the sexy part of it and 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 by the way red sonia is a character in a chainmail bikini so she's oozing right. sexuality yeah. visually except for this weird story trait that is supposed to remove and, it yeah. <laughs> and i think that's where i i feel like the the like sort of like neutering characters uh-huh. is uh, sorry oh. like is is a problem is is a problem just because it's like you're not actually solving the problem you're just making it go away oh. well you're ignoring like it the, you're yeah. ignoring it and you're pretending yeah. it's not real uh-huh. it's also heavily implied that conan could probably beat her but he respects her as a warrior so he doesn't yeah <laughs> So yeah, yeah, Con- yeah, Conan so weird. Conan could beat her and fuck her, but yeah. he won't because well, I that would be wrong. Right, yeah, right. right. <laughs> no, never mind all the other pillaging he does. So it, it is so it's bizarre. That's well, so but then weird. to do a more uh, a more recent example, there is the character of Carol Danvers if uh modern listeners probably know her as Captain Marvel in the MCU. Classically, she was Ms. Marvel. She was the original Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel, who's who's Kamala Khan is a newer character, but she was Carol Danvers was Ms. Marvel for a long time. And then for really good reasons, honestly, um, at one point they decide uh, the original Captain Marvel was a character who's been dead since the 80s. Um, So they decide, you know what? It's time. She Carol's been Ms. Marvel for long enough. We're going to promote her. We're going to make her the new Captain Marvel. Okay, fine. I'm going to throw a footnote in here. The original Marvel Comics version of Captain Marvel. Yes. Yeah. Not the original Captain Marvel, but that's a whole other podcast. That's a a, a long episode that we're. Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) anyway. So, yeah. Yes. Weird footnote. But yeah. And then they decide we're going to make Ms. Marvel Carol Danvers into the new Captain Marvel. And when they do that, they erase a lot of her history, much of which was really problematic. Um, But like, but one of the things about one of the definitive things about Ms. Marvel, the character was that she was kind of promiscuous and she's an alcoholic. Um, 
Not and anymore. She, and she struggles with it. So they wanted her to be, you know, a good aspirational feminist character for young girls. So let's just ignore that and put her in a full she's not a person. Yeah. Well, she's in a full like I actually like the I actually like the new Captain Marvel series. Um, where she's in a full she's in the the, the, the costume from the movies, the full bodysuit. That's what she wears. She used to wear an extremely sexualized one piece um one piece bathing suit with like with very high cut legs <laughs> you know and, and a thong and, and, and the original costume had a belly window so yeah and and so so she was like uber sexy and like, again she's an alcoholic and she's a party girl and that just all goes away overnight for bad storyline reasons and i'm not going to get into because that's a whole nother episode but they basically erase all of it in order to make what they what a writer who i really like kelly sue DeConnick, who writes bitch planet mm-hmm. she's the one who does this and i really like her work um but she restructures the character to be somebody that she feels like she can look up to essentially and that young girls can look up to and my problem with it was if you're going to do that, okay, first off, I have no problem with having, having a character like that, create a new character, because now you've said that you, like, you've just gotten rid of this one, you know, your one high profile promiscuous drinking character. Right. Like well, that's, that's, well, that's what I meant, is it's sort of like you're saying that basically like, oh, okay, because like young girls can't look up to this woman, which also the fact that like, like the idea that that's not possible is also kind of mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. But She's like, also a rape survivor. She's yeah, also a rape survivor, which yeah. is now just completely. Why would yeah. you erase that oh yeah, my yeah, god it de- it de- yeah it dehumanizes her in so yeah, many ways I, I have a whole i have a whole academic well, like article about erasure that, like rape. Mm-hmm. yeah because it's like i i <laughs> I get the impulse of like wanting to make something that is child friendly, but yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Like make a new character because you're basically taking you're basically out saying rape survivors can't be heroes. Yes. Especially the young girls who, by the way, statistically uh, not a not small number of them are also rape survivors. Yeah. It's so this is, and uh, this is probably another episode too, but uh, I'll touch on it. Um, Cause I've, ri- I've written about this. I've, I've done an academic article about this. Um, there's a problem in the uh, popular, uh, uh, Hannah's not here, um, to, but she would even say this. Um, one of the biggest problems in geek media is we need a storyline. We need a storyline trope here. So we want to give trauma to this woman. So we're going to rape her. That's something that happens. It's the game of Thrones. It's the game of Thrones problem. And it is a problem. And I will agree. And I will agree that it is a problem. Um, the, and so uh, Carol Danvers was one of those characters and the problem is when people, and they wanted, they were trying to fix it. So they erased it, which I have problems with, but also that's not as common in comics from the big two, as you think they, as it seems like it would be, but it's actually not because the comics code precluded it. So like of the, um, of the high profile of Marvel's high profile rape survivors in comics, there were three, there were Carol Danvers. There was, uh, there's other people who, you know, maybe but the high profile ones were Carol Danvers, um, Mockingbird and, um, the female Hawkeye, um, Kate Bishop. And in the last four years, they have erased the rapes of Mockingbird and Carol Danvers. And that feels icky to me. (laughs) It's super super icky on so many levels. Uh, It's super icky. Let's just not talk about it. Jessica Jones. Yeah, let's not talk about it. Mm -hmm. Jessica 
Jones the is issue, four. The yeah. issue, because I mean, I know Hannah and I have talked about this well on the show before. It's like the issue is that when media uses rape as an easy way to build drama and that isn't actually going to deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, it's like, you know, or it's going to deal with it really poorly. And, it, and the other part of, I mean, the other reason why that's shorthand is because there's this idea that somehow for a woman to experience trauma, it has to somehow be uniquely feminine trauma, right? right. It has to be t- tied to like sexual mm-hmm. violence, the idea that you have a miscarriage, you have children, and like that women don't get traumatized by things that other genders are traumatized by. Mm-hmm. Um, the default gender um, of men, yes. Yeah. Right. And so like the idea, and it's basically like built out this idea that it's, it's somehow like aberrant for women to have experiences that are also shared by men, even if they are mm-hmm. experiencing nothing to do with gender. Anyway, but like, so there's that kind of like trite aspect of, you know, we're going to use rape basically as a device to make our show more interesting because we can't be bothered to write well. Mm-hmm. Um, but by erasing it, but erasing it for a character, especially a character that's already very prominent, you're doing the other part of that. It's shitty where you're basically saying like, oh, rape isn't actually an important thing to address and we're not going to address it because it's hard. Yes, yes you're still not dealing um, with it. You have continued to not deal with it, but now you've problem. done it in a gross way. You, well, you've not only not dealt with it, but then you've also said that it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is which is worse um, because you're basically telling women that like actually you should basically keep all of your stuff like that's all private and no one wants to hear about it and that's the so not only does it not matter to us as a society it shouldn't matter to you individually because that's a you problem right? yeah and the way the ways in which it's done we, we, we might have to do a whole episode on it the way in which it's even done is just it's just awful in every way but the reason i brought it up because i because i don't want to go too far down that line yeah. except to say that that is still a male gaze issue because that's what Mulvey's actually that. trying to get at she's a what she's what she's dealing with is she's saying gender is only it's not She's not arguing that you can't be sexy. And this is where people get it all wrong. She's arguing that the narratives always occur from a male gendered point of view, even when they try not to. And again, I think that we can. And and she's saying, let's try harder not to. She's not saying it can't be, but she's saying we need to actually be aware of it, because um, if we're going to default to things like sexuality or things like, well, if we want to fix rape, let's just make it go away. That's not right. <laughs> well, that's already, I mean, that's what patriarchy does. Patriarchy doesn't yeah. want to hear about mm-hmm. rape because it doesn't believe that rape is a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, and, and and she's yeah, she's explaining stuff like that. Um, and it's so it, anyway, really interesting stuff, which is why I wanted to you know have the episode on it, and, and why Katya wanted to yeah. have the episode on it, and why we're going to build on it. But um, yeah, at, at, at this point, we'll probably resolve nothing. <laughs> right. Tune in for our coming episode. Right, um, right. Well, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not to, to interrupt this entire conversation, but I mean, this, no, this no, is we, this, this is yeah, yeah. Gone for days. Yeah, we're gone, and and there's a lot more to talk about, which is why we're doing this as a, right. a primer for further episodes. This is the whole. This is the homework episode. Yeah, yeah. This is very much the broccoli episode. My my big takeaway. This is what I try try to always get my students to understand. I'll teach like 200 level femi- feminism classes. Right. You've you've had your intro class, or you've maybe read stuff on the internet, so you know stuff like you've heard of the Bechdel test. Right. And a lot of people come into it with this concept of, all right, male gaze, male gaze means bad. So what we're trying to do is we're, we're, we're trying to either argue something is gazy or it's feminist as though it's a binary. And it's not right. The the question of male gaze, male gaze isn't a test of is it or is it not feminist? It's a 
set of tools to notice issues and say what can we do with them or about well and also how do we how do we make things other things possible not necessarily erasing things that have male gaze in them but how can we make it so that there are other types of media out there right and that's Right. It's a, so uh, the, the, the example that I, that, so, you know, I've, I've, I've seen people say, well, is this sexist or is it good? And the answer, it might be good and it might be sexist. It might be good and it might be racist. It might be, you know, there might be, and I don't mean like it's good because it's racist or it's sexist. I'm saying there might be a movie or a TV show or a video game or a comic book that does lots of really good, positive feminist stuff and also some really bad negative stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, frequently probably are so that's what this is about it's it's trying to discover the issue and also again just to back up because i know it's a big point to malvi just because it's sexy that doesn't mean it's anti-woman um one of the big problems with the not just the erasure of rape and stuff but the erasure of sexuality um there's a point in i guess it's the it's like around 2010s right wayne when the when they when we suddenly have this point where, where there's this big push to like sort of get rid of all the sexy women's costumes and comics mm-hmm. and and you and there's like oh well you know we've been this has been male gazy so like all the women who had uber sexy costumes like you know bathing suits or or you know bare midriffs or uh power power girls boob window power girl is a right. character that's um that, that like um has been defined since the 70s as she is a superman-esque character uh, if you don't know who she is but she's a superman-esque character with um with large breasts and a boob window on on her outfit so she's so you, so you can see the cleavage you could see her cleavage and people have complained about it being sexist for years and years and years and in 2011 um <laughs> dc reboots their universe and they use this as a as an opportunity to change her costume and give her a um less stacked appearance and they gave her a full costume that you know was more modest and they were like oh we're gonna fix this problem and you know what happened a bunch of women who were large chested and had been power had been cosplaying power girl for years wrote in and said what the fuck are you doing right <laughs> yes yeah it was a, it was a lot of it, it was a lot of because they, they they made her and they're like because there were a lot of there was a lot of criticism from and from women who said well why why does she have to have huge boobs what's the, what are you trying to say what are you trying to say and then some women but, have huge boobs but it's not, women that's have the huge reason boobs. my character was made that way but all it's like both things could be true it's like the yes. rough problem and, this could have been made to capitulate to male audience and it is also true that there are women who are like this what was weird about it is like she's not the only big boob superhero in existence by any long stretch of the imagination but in the context of big big boob superheroes she had a very distinct body type Mm -hmm. more so than most of them and she was known for it and she was a favorite and it, they, it and in order to appease one group they didn't take into account that different women have different sensibilities and the solution maybe isn't so the solution to the fact that there were so many hypersexualized super um superheroines doesn't necessarily need to be get rid of all of them right mm-hmm. it, the solution well, is make some that aren't because because right. she was someone's favorite some and she was and it turns out she was a lot of people's favorite and they had to eventually put it back so now they've undone this right. and her chest just grew again for no apparent reason because 
people were like, what are you doing? Right. Uh, I don't, yeah, I know we need to wrap up, but I think, I mean, I think the important part of this is that like the thing that often gets lost when these media companies are trying to make, you know, what they think is a feminist decision is they are simultaneously forgetting that women are not a monolith. Yes. Uh, Cause like most of feminism, especially contemporary feminism is about what Mulvey's talking about is about like, it's not that we have like, you know, there are certain things that should not be allowed because hello, rape culture, but like, sure. Sure. When it comes to stuff like media, it's like the idea is like it's options. You should be able to have different kinds of characters mm-hmm. so that different mm-hmm. kinds of people can identify with different types of things for men, women, you know, whatever your gender is. Like all, mm-hmm. just just have options. Just have options. Mm-hmm. And 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 that goes for men as well. It gets lost so often because we a patriarchal society also takes away choices for men. But it takes away choices and leaves them with a weird default, which seems powerful and at the top. So it's not it's not as noticeably bad. Doesn't mean it's not it, bad. It's, it's not it's, as noticeably yeah, bad. Well, it is at the top, but it's also that doesn't it doesn't mean that there aren't there isn't a price to pay. There isn't a loss. Yes. It doesn't mean that there isn't loss. Yes. Like so. She, so she would also for that too. Are, are doing the best under patriarchy. That doesn't mean that they're doing great. Right. And so the entire point of all of it of gays theory of when you're saying we're going to look at the male gaze as again remember there are others come coming soon <laughs> when you're yeah. saying we're looking at the male gaze what you're saying is what can we say about this narrative and i'm using that term broadly you know, video games movies books comics right what can we say about this narrative in that it's constructed in a world which assumes that the default viewer is male and we will talk next week in fact um when we're talking about the fanboy gaze about like some of the ideas of um the queer gaze which goes into this which doesn't necessarily mean gay as much uh, which is going to come up a lot because i I know what um, matt our guest next week i know what he wants to talk about so we're going to talk about ways in which this is very much complicated by things like katya's talking about when what does it mean when probably most players of tomb raider are male Mm-hmm. And so you are asking a bunch of presumably heteronormative men to place themselves in the objectified view of a female character. Interesting. <laughs> so that's what we're going to talk about. And that's why we wanted to do this episode. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to sound, t- I mean, we need to wrap up, but it's also not wrapping up because, um, because yeah. we definitely know, we know what we're doing next week and it's an ongoing conversation. And next time. And, and in the meantime, go back and listen to a couple of old episodes because we can recommend, for instance, the episode on the male gaze and Shira and yeah. the kid, the kid gaze and sexualization in, in comics. And this is all built off of this theory. Anyway, look through our back catalog. It comes up a lot. Um, Katya in the show notes um, for the call for comments, you just link to the term male gaze, a search on <laughs> on Vox Popcast, and you'll see that we it comes up a lot in our in our shows. So now I hope this is a little more expl- explanatory to people. Let us know in the comments if it makes more sense. If you have questions, ask us questions too. We don't really usually do that, but we should. You know, if you have thoughts, I mean, you should always ask us questions. Yeah, the, if you have thoughts on feedback on the things that we talked about on the show. Go to the blog and write us questions on the show notes for this show so that we can keep the conversation going. I'd like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katya, anything you want to plug? Um, You can find me on Instagram at just that nerd kid. I don't really post anything recently because, you know, <laughs> the world is weird. 
but um you know you're 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 now covid immune so we will find you just wandering the streets licking doorknobs <laughs> that's that's what you do Mav. uh that's not that's not how i roll i've been um, immune for months this, this is this is your time katya it's your time I, nope i'm gonna go with a hard nope on that one um no what do i have to plug uh just just be a nice person uh read a book i don't know be, be cool <laughs> Wayne, be what about you? To one another. Uh, yes, be excellent <laughs> to one another. Uh, come to my Instagram, Tetrock2012. Uh, I got it this Whoa. time. You remembered come, your Instagram name. I, I did. I come to my Instagram and gaze at my photos. Hey. <laughs> it's not really a male gaze or a female gaze. It's more of a. The, the first person to come up with a comparative analysis of the perspective between, difference in perspective between Wayne's Instagram feed and my Instagram feed. <laughs> Well, wins. Well, I don't so know is, you win. Yeah, like Actually, Wayne's weird, feed rarely has people in it. Wayne's feed is is a lot of look. Here's the I rock I saw. Comparative analysis <laughs> yeah. because I yeah. think yep. Mm-hmm, there's pictures what, of me in clothes on all over mine, which yeah. is <laughs> and that was a, a weird thing because you know most of my life I, I take pictures of people and I draw pictures of people, or whatever. And somewhere along the line, I got into the oh, let's take pictures of things. Yeah, there's a lot of found still cool. life. Yeah, a lot, a lot of found. Yeah, it's it's all found stuff. It's what catches my eye when I'm out in the world. Mm-hmm. All right, and let's see. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places. Always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show all those same places at Vox Popcast. You can also follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where you can read the show notes for this show. You can read calls for comments for our next show, um, including the one that we talked about earlier. Next week, we will t- we will be talking about the fanboy gaze and how it's an extension of the male gaze. So write us questions that we can talk about um, that our guests for next week will be able to talk about and keep reading and see what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. Cause we've got some interesting show topics coming up. Um, you can also oh, hey, subscribe just a topic even. Oh yeah. 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 So Please. this is just a topic. If you want, if you, there's something you want to hear us talk about, you know, write us an email, let us know what you'd like to hear us do a show on, because that's always, that's always interesting. We, we like having, has to research because we're giant nerds and it's fun to go do extra homework. Um, also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We finally hit our goal. We've, uh, we've actually moved well past our goal. And now our next goal is a thousand listeners. So let's get us there. We're only at we're at a hundred something. So um, we definitely want people to subscribe to our YouTube feed where you can see visual representations of the show. And you can also see my other podcast that i that, that i'm on um gosh golly wow so we've got two shows for the price of one on the youtube channel and youtube's free so it's a really good deal <laughs> um so subscribe to us there leave us comments um you know watch the show tell your friends also subscribe to us on itunes or stitcher or spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor leave us a five-star review especially on itunes or apple podcasts that helps other people find the show by goosing the algorithm making it more popular and it just makes us feel good it's always nice to read a little uh, argument but you know, tell us that you finally understand the male gaze because of, you know, the things that we've talked about. So it's edu- educational and fun. That's what I want to know. Edutainment. Is that what it's called? Edutainment. I accept Edut- it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtmore Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank you at home for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.